0: let us pray and ask God to to speak to us on this time. God, thank you so much for wisdom. God, we all desire to figure out how to best live, how to live our best life, but God, you have something to say about it. And so we ask that you would give us insight, perspective, and that Holy Spirit, you would block out all distractions and allow us to bring ourselves fully to what it is that you would have us to say. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So notice verse four, if any of you lacks, uh, well, I'm sorry, verse four, he says lacking nothing, right? That the, the, the goal of these going through trials and perseverance is that you would lack in nothing. And then in verse five, he follows that up with, if any of you lacks wisdom, Ask God. You see, these verses are connected. He's still addressing trials. He's still addressing the difficulties of life, but he's turning his attention specifically on the thing that will help you get through those trials. And contrary to what we often think, the thing you need in a trial more than anything else is not relief. It's wisdom. It's not just relief. It's wisdom. You see, there is no greater time when we need wisdom in our lives than when we are going through trials. Knowing what to do, how to respond in the midst of that intensity. What is it that we what should I do about it? And that's not just book knowledge. That's something deeper. What do you do when you find out by accident that a friend was talking about you behind your back? When a loved one who tends to struggle with their own finances asks you to co-sign on an apartment so they have a place to stay. What do you do? James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. The main thing you need when you're dealing with suffering is wisdom. And not prayer in general, and not wisdom in general, but specifically in the context of what it is that you're struggling with. And I'll give you an example because... um, this just just hits every day. There's so many it's so many times. But I remember uh, when I uh, Tamika and I when we were serving in uh, music ministry in Indiana, and uh, the first summer that we were serving, we were serving college students during the summertime. They would do this mission trip, and the guy who had been the previous uh, music director came back for another year. So he was the only one that had the experience of the program. All the rest of us had just started that year, and um, and he had to come in a little bit late because uh, he was teaching school. So he comes in and i never forget this he uh so like the band has already been there for a week they're all nervous about kind of impressing him because he had been there the year before and they're you know so they're practicing and he comes in with his stunner shades on sits like five feet in front of him hears them rehearse and then they stop they're like so what do you think Jeremy he says y'all sound like a house man let's go and they were all like offended like as he just like totally offended folks, and just dissed them, you know, after this buildup, and they were mad, and then we had to kind of navigate that, and throughout the rest of the summer, you know, there was just some friction that existed. He's the music director leader, so I'm, like, having to work with him and depend on him, but then there's all these, you know, the aspects where he's rough around the edges. Well, that, after the summer ended, um, I decided to, I was like, what am I do about this? Am I going to want him back? Not the way he was there. So I decided to schedule a time where I would call him each Saturday. Because I remember in Proverbs, it says that a a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word kindles strife. And so we began to talk and, you know, first it was still rough and he's kind of like standoffish. But after, I remember after a few weeks, one Saturday, I was just busy and I didn't get a chance to call him. I never told him that I was doing this. I was just doing it on my own. And I called him the following week. He was like, you didn't call me last Saturday. <laughs> he had f- figured it out and picked it up. And by the time, so I invite him back the next summer, he comes back completely different and transformed. And a few years later, he actually asked me to do his wedding. And what I discovered in that moment, what that, that moment kind of revealed is that how do I go through things when people disappoint and frustrate? Do I, do I respond in kind, give the same energy back Well, that's oftentimes what the culture says, how you feel, or do you respond in a way that's different? And you see, part of the challenge in our culture is we lack wisdom in our society because we have been told to put our trust in our best selves more than God. And this has been an issue for years. I mean, generations, decades. In fact, Uh, C.S. Lewis, um, the great 20th century Christian writer, y'all might know him through Chronicles of Narnia or Mere Christianity. He wrote a book called The Abolition of Man. And listen to what he said. For the wise men of old, the cardinal problem of human life was how to conform the soul to objective reality. And the solution was wisdom, self-discipline, and virtue. For the modern, the cardinal problem is how to conform reality to the wishes of man and the solution is a technique see what 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 lewis is pointing out is that in the in, in the times past if 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 what i was trying to get to and, and, and how i was trying to live was not was not conforming with reality then i would realize i needed to change but now the the thing has been flipped on its head and when reality doesn't conform with what i desire then we just try to just change reality, with the technique, with the strategy, with an approach, with a depending on some technological situation as opposed to actually changing myself. And this is why even with something like, you know, with those who, who have real struggles with like you know weight loss and obesity and you know we th- like there was a lot of times where you would see like the the procedure in a surgery where they would cut a piece of your stomach but and before they they learned that before we did that because if we just did that and let the person leave, and they had an unhealthy relationship with food, like they were using it to cope because there was some other stress, then it would actually create a problem because they wouldn't stop the eating and it would just kind of explode their stomach and then they would have to get more surgery and whatnot. So what they started to realize is that we had to deal with the root issue, which was a relationship with food before we get to the surgery. But oftentimes we just want the surgery and not have to do an inspection of what's actually going on in our heart and our mind. No, the issue is not just you need more money. The issue is you need a different relationship with money. The issue isn't just, oh, I need a relationship. The issue is you need to change your relationship with yourself to realize that you are enough. So that you know how to get into a relationship. This is what godly wisdom does. And see, we have to understand the difference between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom, because there's two types of wisdom that James later talks about in James chapter three. Let's just go there for a second. He says in uh, verse 13 of chapter three, who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Very important, James breaks down here because he's like, look, I'm talking a lot about wisdom, but I need you to understand there's two different types of wisdom. There's a wisdom that says use what you got to get what you want. And there's a wisdom that says, Con- conduct yourself in purity and holiness and trust God and he will make a way for you. There's a wisdom that says, yo, man, don't let nobody talk to you out of turn. You handle your business. There's another one that says God will fight your battles. And so... James here observes there's two different kinds. And, and, and just I, I want to just so make sure we understand when we're talking about wisdom and practical insight for living, what we mean. I'll just give you three points. I uh, got this courtesy of uh, Dr. Tim Keller, who went home to be with the Lord last year, but his influence and, and shaped a lot of our thinking on the scriptures and just was a great teacher. And he, he, he made these three observations about worldly wisdom. First aspect, if you're taking notes, this is a great time. One earthly, worldly wisdom is self-reliant. And by self-reliant, what it says is that somehow all of the solutions, all of the the, the challenges are completely within myself. And that if I just find the right technique, if I just find the right method, if I just find the right pill, if I just get the right divorce, if I just do all these things and then I can just say we're in charge now, I am the captain of my soul, then I can figure it out by myself. Self-reliant. And we saw this, you know, it's funny, as a culture, as a world, we got the biggest clapback of this reality a few years ago. Remember the 2020 began and, you know, just the symmetry of the numbers, and I'm about to live my best life and I'm about to do all these things and everything. And it was like, oh, really? Shut it down. Ever, all your plans ended, uprooted. And I remember it, it's now kind of cute to think about when like March 14, 2020 happened, and we were like, hey, y'all, sleepover, slumber party, hey, we got like two weeks off. Like in the SpongeBob voice, two years later, still going through. And remember when the promise of like technology was like, yo, video calls and things like that are going to make life so much easier. You'll have less work. Now you got your meeting in your pocket. And everybody knows that they have access to you all the time. Less work? I don't think so. But ultimately, this overemphasis, and I'm not saying that self-reliance doesn't have a place, but this overemphasis, when this is the center of wisdom, then it promotes trust in ourselves over God. Second issue is (laughs) self-centered. A self-centered approach uh, says, you know, the problem with the world (laughs) is that it's not more like me. So the world needs to change. And, And as a result of this, sometimes we can end up justifying Anything that we have done in our lives because of circumstances and surroundings, I can say, "Oh well, she, I, you know, committed adultery because I was lonely. My partner isn't meeting my needs. Or that person lied just because they wanted to fit in. There's nothing wrong with that. And we, and this comes from a perspective where it's like, well, the universe owes me. And isn't that an interesting statement? Like." So you don't want to say God owes you something. So like you don't believe in a conscious being that is over all of But the universe, which is an inanimate way of just describing everything in the world, somehow that owes you something. Make it make sense. But when we center ourselves in the story, instead of centering the creator who is at the center, we forget who he is and what he's done for us. We can't forget about sin because holiness is the way to happiness. We can't just assume that everything that happens to me that somehow I have a chip on my shoulder because the world, the universe, God owes me something. When I start to realize, not from a self-centered way, all the things that I've hurt other people. Oh, you want to talk about what you deserve? We really want to have that conversation. God is saying about what you deserve. The reality is: this question is that what self-centered ultimately causes us to wrestle with. Can I trust God that His deep, boundless love is the reason why He wants to save me from the consequences of my life? Can I trust that God will even allow hardships, even trials, to come in my way because He wants to put me into the gym of my soul and develop spiritual fitness? that I need for what he has coming for me. Can I trust that? I can't trust that if I'm self-centered and I think that I can figure out all the angles and I have the audacity of thinking I can know what I deserve, when I deserve it and how I should get it versus what God is trying to reveal in his slow rotisserie style. I don't know about y'all, I like rotisserie a lot better than microwave meals. (laughs) Best way to get that barbecue is low, and slow. Somebody know what I'm talking about. So the key question with this is, will I allow my trials to make me bitter or better? And that's all about the perspective and who's at the center. And then the third one is secular. You see, Part of the reality is that when I cut off transcendence, when I cut off the connection of who God is and and what he's trying to do, and I only focus on the, the here and now, then I will evaluate every circumstance by, is it good for me now or is it not good for me now? But scripturally, biblically, there's two different perspectives. There's a temporal perspective and then there's an eternal perspective. Oh, those are two very different perspectives, temporal and eternal. You see, from a temporal perspective, the only immediate cause or of concern is what will benefit me right now in the present. But an eternal perspective actually sees that there's something greater, bigger, and broader that God is trying to do. And those things are, 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 are I'll give you an example. So I remember um, when we first got married, uh, Tamika and I were, you know, we got married at 23. And on uh, top of being 23, I was an uh, intern missionary. Not a, not a very uh, lucrative position. We was young, we were broke, in other words. And I remember, uh, so anniversary was like, okay, I'm just, I know she likes being in a hotel, so we'll just do this like hotel where I could find, you know, we... <laughs> so I got what I could find and what I could afford, right? It's a hotel. Well, we get there, and Tamika's like... I'm not sleeping in here. <laughs> and in her defense, it was kind of gross. It was what I could afford. So I had to, you know, but I felt so like ashamed, embarrassed and ashamed. I'm like, man, this sucks. This is the worst ever. Why did I make this decision and choose this route? You know, and so we, we went someplace else. But the thing about it is, as we look back on that, And I remember uh, there was a guy who I knew from college, and I was the first in my family to graduate, so you feel this extra pressure to kind of get this economic stability and even bring others along. And I remember um, one of my classmates came, we were doing campus ministry at Howard in DC, and he was like, yo man, he was like working in a big business, you know, one of those good, cushy jobs out of college. And he said, man, I wish I was doing what you were doing because you're really making a difference. And I was like blown away by that because I was kind of looking a little bit sheepish about yeah, this is, you know, I'm working with these students, I'm pouring into them. But he saw something deeper that I didn't see. And so now years later, when we in an Airbnb up in Park City, Utah, chilling, it's like in a bathroom big enough that I did my workouts in. I'm like, okay, God, like perspective, right? It like, like just stay the low and slow process will ultimately get you where you need to go. But that takes an eternal perspective on that, and that ultimate eternal perspective is not just in the context of 20, 30 years, but a lifetime. And what is it that you're going to do that will, like, don't you realize from the perspective of heaven, the worst one-star hotel is like... Yo, but this is what God used to get you here. So it's great. I'm glad for it. Like from the perspective of heaven, all the hardships that you are going through right now are just great. They're just another rep. They're just another set in your spiritual workout to get you spiritually buff. And that is something to rejoice over when I have the perspective. Now I can count it all joy when I go through these things, because perspective is a mount of wisdom. God's wisdom is the ultimate life hack. The pain and trouble is real, but the wisdom with which you receive determines how you'll grow. All right, so that's worldly wisdom. Here's the three principles of how to get godly wisdom. First, admit you need God in others. Now, he uses the phrase in verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom. Now, he's kind of being a bit polite here, right? (laughs) Because... If any of you lacks wisdom, he's like saying all of you lack wisdom. You know, it's kind of like sometimes when someone be like, baby, do you, do you need a tissue? You're like, please take this tissue. If someone offers you a mint. Hello? Take the mint. Take the mint. Just take it. Just be safe. Take the mint. They might be being nice. Take it. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. Because you see, one of the key principles in Proverbs is if you think you're wise, you might be a fool. If you think you've arrived and you know everything there is to know about everything, that's when you are the one in the room that doesn't know enough, is not asking any questions. He's saying, look, I have to admit, I don't know it all. I I, I know some things about life are little, it's complex to me. And every difficulty indicates more that our theory of life uh, doesn't account for. Like you have a system in your mind about how life will work, right? Like it's simple. Like, okay, I do good things and good things happen to me. And then like reality happens and that doesn't always work. And then you go, well, what do I do now? How do I figure that out? Well, again, Job <laughs> has something to say that could help you with that. But here's the other thing You don't admit that you need God. This comes through the scriptures. It's a plethora of incredible verses about every area of life in the scripture. But also remembering that community is a important part. That's why we need to admit that we need God and others. Don't be like that person that's like, look, it's just God and me. And we just rolling through the world by ourselves. That gets you in trouble. Because as we were praying about, uh, as Pastor Josh led us in prayer during our prayer time in the mornings, and we looked at Jeremiah where it says the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? Like, don't you know that sometimes you trick yourself into thinking you're doing something for the right reasons when you're really not. But you know who can help you with that? Somebody else who see. Somebody else that's like, Mm-mm, that ain't why you're doing this. There's a deeper motive involved. And so community is what God has given us as well to help us understand how to work and how, what to do in a key moment because we can trick ourselves into thinking the opposite is true of what we want because, you know, that's what we want at the moment because our hearts are deceitful at times. Some of you are not dealing with life because you're so sure you know how life should go. It's not about the event of the circumstance. It's how you interpret the event. And you might be crushed because you think you know how to handle it, but you're handling it completely wrong. Admit that you need help from God and others. Second, believe God will help you. Right? He says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask God, but let them ask, excuse me, in faith, believing that God will actually offer and do. And this is, you know, it's a very dark place to be when you believe that there is a God, but you believe he has no interest in helping you. And so many of us get to that place. And that's a a really, that only leads to darkness because then it's like, well, man, uh, what do I do now with life? Because God is against me. But when I understand that suffering is not the end, when I understand that and I trust that God is actually at work and doing something, even if I can't see it, then now I can believe that God is going to help me. God is, in fact, helping me even in the midst of my brokenness. You have to know this. Because if we end up concluding, well, God can't be real because I trusted him for this thing and I even prayed about it and and, I tr- and, and it didn't happen, then that ultimately means that I was trusting in myself in my understanding about how God works. Because God is like, yo, when have you counseled me about how to run the world? When have you counseled me about how to make mountains or a sky? Like, I, oh, you think you know some things about the world, right? Like, I made it. <laughs> So then he says, don't be double minded and unstable. And this double mindedness, we're going to get into a little bit later, but it's this aspect of going wavering about if I'm trusting God, if I'm not trusting God, if I'm trusting God, am I trusting myself? Am I trusting God? Oh, I need to help God out. Okay, no, now I'm going to let God do it. And it's just going back and forth, back and forth. And it's unstable. But we can add stability in our lives when we trust the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God is probably seen in its best, in its fullness, in Jesus. And that's why we center the cross as God's wisdom. Now, buckle up for this one, because you see, the cross actually doesn't just solve problems in general, but it speaks to and it clarifies what it is that I'm going through in the world. And it really very much upends the assumptions that I have about how God works in what he's doing in the world. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus didn't do anything wrong. According to the scriptures, he lived a sinless life. He taught, he did exactly what God wanted him to do. And it says the son of man had nowhere to lay his head. It says that he was told and accused of crimes that he didn't commit. Wait, the guy that lived perfectly And then even, okay, well, wait, 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 you know, so God, because he lived perfectly, that means he's going to answer all his prayers the way that he will want to. And then you see in the Garden of Gethsemane, God, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass before me. This is my desire in my flesh and my humanity. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And God's will was revealed the next day as he nailed, was nailed on the cross. And he cries out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He trusted God's plan, even in the midst of his death, even though he didn't do anything wrong, deserving of the death that he was experiencing. He stood his ground and he suffered and obeyed his father. And he's saying, I'm asking you to do the same thing. The servant is not greater than his master. And so there's something that comes because praise God, we know that's not the end of the story. Because on Sunday he resurrects all power in his hand, name above all names, but still with the scars of life, still with the scars of the circumstances. And and so there's something in the process that God is doing. It says right there in Philippians two, because he did not think the quality of God was something to be gained. He humbled himself and became a servant even unto death. Yes, even death on the cross. And then he says, you have this same mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. The transformation of the cross helps us understand the reality of what wisdom is all about. <laughs> Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, 2. He says, yet among the mature, we do not impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the angels, before the ages of our glory. Verse eight. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through his spirit. What Paul is saying here is that there is this other wisdom. But I'm not talking to people who are mature. He's using that sarcastically to say, you you so mature, you don't need to hear from God and his perspective on life because you think you have it all because you read some books because you did a couple years in college. Now, you know everything about life. But he's saying, "No, no, no, I'm talking about a deeper wisdom that is at odds with the wisdom of this world, because you see in the wisdom of this world. The Pharisees said, well, you know, it's better that Jesus would die and we stay in power than it is for this one man to maybe cause a revolution, to cause a rebellion, and cause us to lose the little autonomy we have in our state of Israel. And in the wisdom of this world, Pontius Pilate said, you know what, I'm just going to wash my hands of this, and I'm going to just keep myself away from this because I don't want to lose my power. In the wisdom of the world, Judas was like, yo, I need that money, I need that bread. He ain't doing it the way I thought he was, so like, let me just sell him out. The wisdom of the world caused Jesus to be crucified. And so he says, I'm not talking about this wisdom, but I'm talking about a wisdom that is secret and hidden. But what God is doing in you, he says, no eye has seen and no ear has heard what God has in store for you. What you do when you trust God in his way and his methods is actually transformative. It has a reveal that is beyond what everybody could imagine. So that when Jesus comes back gleaming and white, walking through walls, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Because this wisdom is deeper and more profound. You know, uh, January started and, um, you know, I was like, "Okay, I'm going to try to get back on my fitness thing. I'm going to do it differently. I evaluated. I took stock in life and I realized me on my own, just trying to do these things in my room ain't working. So I joined the gym. (laughs) Felt such like a cliche, but okay. But this time I decided I'm going to try to use wisdom and I don't sometimes know what I'm doing. So I got with a personal trainer. And I remember the first time that we started working out and he had me doing like a bunch of lunges and, then he step-up things with the kettlebells, right? And my right knee started to hurt and I couldn't really do it. And I knew something every once in a while, my knee starts hurting, which is why I stopped running. And so I just thought he was going to go up to upper body because that's what I do when my knee hurts. <laughs> and he was like, nah, let's see. Uh, try it with one weight, try it with no weights. Okay, you can do it with no weights. And he's like staring at like my lower leg area And then he has me do something else. And then at the end of the workout, he says, see, the issue isn't your knee. The issue is that you need to strengthen your calves, your quads, and your hamstrings, everything around the knee. And the only way to do that is by increasing the resistance on those muscle groups. The complete opposite of what I thought, which is why I ended up in that situation, was the exact method that the physical trainer had. Don't you realize Jesus is your physical trainer and he is saying to you, oh, no, 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 no! you don't need less resistance. You just need to apply the resistance in different ways. You just need to think about it in different ways. Don't stop the workout. Just work on the other things that are weak in your life so that that can prove stronger. That's what God is doing in and through us. Jesus is the wisdom of God. And we see through his life, a life of offering himself up to others, a life of sacrifice and a life of death. Before resurrection. We see the wisdom of God. Where is God might where might God might be calling you to die? Before you can be resurrected. What areas of life do you need to see the resistance and embrace it and just figure out how to modify how I walk through life. We ask God for wisdom. And that's why we pray, (laughs) Monday through Friday, 6.30 in the morning, plug right now, start your day off right, asking God for wisdom with us on Zoom. But then lastly, I wanted to speak on this being, don't be double-minded. Because he uses this illustration of winds and waves, right? Don't be unstable like the winds and the waves. And I thought this was really interesting, and so, um, but I'm not a sailor. Like I don't get down with boats and stuff like that. So I decided to call a friend who does sail for wisdom. And I said, "Yo, what does this mean? Like, what? what, Explain to me winds and waves, and what that has to do with like this verse and this imagery he's saying about being double-minded." And my friend Philip, he says, "Look, the." He ships all over the Caribbean, like he has a boat and he, you know, is living on the boat two weeks, going from Bahamas to Bermuda and all the places. And he says wind is the main thing that you need when you're sailing. However, you need to recognize that waves are affected by winds. Sometimes storms that are a thousand miles away can impact waves and get choppy at sea. And so even though you need them at times, they're also very dangerous. Especially when you get crosswinds and crosswinds happen when it's blowing from several different directions at the same time. you would be seeing like we know what the waves look like on the shore and it's coming one way calmly, but crosswinds are happening when it's going every way at the same time. And you have to know how to navigate through those crosswinds. And so, what he's saying is that essentially being double minded is like having creating a storm of dangerous crosswinds in your life. One day I'm trusting God and I'm waiting on Him, the next day I'm trusting myself and hearing what the latest fad is, and I'm getting crushed by these crosswinds. But instead, if I stand flat footed in God's Word, trusting Him, not wavering then I can actually coast through and the wind can actually be an asset instead of a disadvantage. And that has to do with how I find myself in the winds. Maybe there's a crosswind of conflict and you're trying to figure out like, do I do it my way in my flesh? Cause I know how I act or my trust in God. Maybe you have a crosswind of finances and financial struggle and you're trying to figure out, yo, do I get this money? Do I cut corners? Do I lie, cheat, steal to do it my way? Or do I trust the one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills? The book of James tells us that true wisdom is more than book smarts. It's more than just knowledge. But Proverbs 1 and verse 7 says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Of fools despise instruction. We must be single-minded and stand firm even when the winds of life blow and trust that God is our captain who knows how to navigate the seas and even say to the waves at times, peace, be still. Lord, we obey you because we know that you are the source and the fountain of wisdom. Well, if you could stand with me, and we wanna have an opportunity to respond to this message, because you might be here today and the storms of life have been rocking you. You've been experiencing the crosswinds of double-mindedness. What is a reason why Jesus is revealed as the wisdom of God. It wasn't that he didn't have power and that's why he ended up arrested and crucified. He says, I could call a legion of angels and all of y'all would catch right. But my kingdom is not of this kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. And I wanna say this lastly. Wisdom does help us to know how to navigate through life. But Jesus did not die on the cross just to be your life coach, but to be your Lord. Let me explain the difference. See, a life coach is employed and empowered to kind of help you get to where you want to go already. The predetermined destination that's there It can help you get real good principles to help you to do that. And that's I'm not hating on that task in that industry. But what I'm saying is Jesus ain't your life coach. See, because the Lord says, I am coming to you to tell me where to go. I'm going counting on you to give me clarity about what I absolutely should be committed to. And and on top of that, how to best live that life that you've called me to. It's both in. And so. (laughs) Ultimately, the difference between the life coach and the Lord in this context is that. I might want to live my best life now. But Jesus is like, but let me define what that best life is first and give you clarity about what is best. And so I want to invite you to the front. If you're here today and you realize, I need Jesus, to, I want him to be the captain of the boat, I want him to be the physical trainer that helps me work on the weaknesses and the strengths, but not just so that I can do the thing that I ultimately already planned on doing in my way, but so that I can give him the keys and say, take me to where you want me to go and then help me learn how to drive to get there. We hope this message was encouraging to you. We invite you to send us an email at info at bridgechurchnyc.com so we can hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handle on all our social media platforms is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we would love to see you on a Sunday. Our services are at 1030 a.m. and noon on Sundays at 345 Adams Street in downtown Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope to see you soon.